0: Bitcoiners, welcome back to the show. Ansel Linder here, Bitcoin and Markets. Another Fundamentals Friday for you guys. We have some news items. We have some metrics, some statistics, some stats from around the space. Try to give you guys a good read on the market, what I see going on out there, uh, and provide some value for noobs that are listening, anybody new to the space, any beginners. Give you guys a nice, solid Bitcoin foundation, not a... A shitcoin foundation. That's not what we're looking for. Anyway, so just some admin notes up front. We are doing our next Discord chat. That's going to be next week. So if you want to participate, uh, listen, or text chat, or talk on voice, whatever you guys prefer, uh, then go on over to the Discord link that is in the show notes. Also, uh, the the mandatory shilling. <laughs> if you want to support the show, go to bitcoinmarkets.com forward slash support. There's ways to, um, you know, links to get to the Patreon. There is uh, ways to donate via PayPal or Bitcoin, of course. Uh, also, there's free ways to support the show, like leave a rating on iTunes or share with your meetups or, you know, share with a family member or whatever uh, with your social media. So there's there's free ways to support the show. But, uh, you know, I appreciate the monetary support. I didn't shill any ICOs during the ICO thing. You know this is a bitcoin foundation um i'm have built this show around quote unquote trust and a community feel like it i'm very humbled to hear about the people that say that i was influential in their early days in bitcoin and kept them out of buying these icos that have crashed 99.9 percent of their value so you know that's that's kind of the impetus behind the show and so yeah i I'm going to show my support links. <laughs> so check out the affiliates. Check out the support page, BitcoinMarkets.com forward slash support. Also, you can sign up for the free report. That's every Friday. It's this show condensed into an email with charts and everything. So uh, people are really loving it. And uh, I think it's a huge value add. No spam or anything. Just the report every Friday. All right, let's get in to the show. Uh, price. Bit stamp, 3,900 even right now, 3,900 even. It's looking good. Uh, It didn't hit my kind of forced prediction last week. I forced myself on the show. I said, if I had to make a target or whatever, my best guess would be um, between 4,000 and 4,100. Didn't quite get up there, but uh, it was at least in the right direction. You know, it's, it's at least bullish. There's another, one other like real bull out there that I know of, and that's Carpe Noctum. On Twitter, he has a YouTube channel. Really great condensed material. Um, Very very smart guy, and so uh, he is more bullish than I am. I think his target's like forty eight hundred or something like that for the near term. But everywhere else I look around the space, you know, YouTube channels and stuff. I mean, granted, I don't watch Tone Vase anymore, but (laughs) um, uh, every everywhere else on YouTube, people are kind of uh, bearish on the price. Okay. I did a little bit of looking at Masari, you know, Masari.io forward slash on-chain FX. They have a similar page to CoinMarketCap, and I, I really like Masari's stuff. I'm, I don't really want to support Two-Bit idiot because that's his outfit over there, but they do have some good metrics, and one of them was, um, you know, percent from the all-time high, and I'm looking down, and Bitcoin's at 81 right now, 81% off of the all-time high, but... Everybody else, I think there's one other in the top 20 that is less or closer to the all time high than Bitcoin, and that's Binance Coin. And that doesn't really even count. So, yeah, this all these other altcoins have crashed way harder. Most of them are still down 90 to 95 percent, and they still need to go down another 90 to 95 percent. I had a tweet just yesterday that said, you know, (laughs) Satoshi's vision. Um, BSV is still over, over a billion dollar market cap. This is Craig Wright's coin that is just a disaster in every way, shape, and form. And it's over a billion dollar market cap. I mean, it should be, you know, in the double digit millions, maybe, maybe a hundred million, but a billion. I mean, the entire altcoin space, that whole half of the market, is still extremely overbought or uh, another way you could put it is it's it's undersold. <laughs> People are just waiting for something, right? They're they're waiting for the next bull run to start and altcoin season to come back. And it's not going to happen. I don't think there's going to be this general rise in altcoins. There's going to be one-offs here and there when we have a announcement like Samsung and this engine whatever that whole thing is about. That pumped like 200%. And we see small pumps here and there off of news items. But of course, that's not legit. These are all pilot programs sold as like legit <laughs> adoption, which they are not. I mean, look at Ethereum itself still has between eight to 10,000 daily active users of DApps. That's it. And their highest category is Games. Which doesn't need a blockchain, like they don't need to be decentralized. <laughs> it just—it boggles my mind that uh, these things have so much value, and it's all just left over from this narrative of blockchain and tokenization and all of this stuff. So uh, may- maybe that's going to be my bellwether. Is going to be like when BSV uh, crashes another ninety percent, that the altcoin bubble is you know, completely deflated. But um, I mean, just look at that side. What's Bitcoin is about 67 to 60 to $70 billion market cap. Uh, and the other side of the market, the altcoin side is so 65 billion ish. And I mean, when it gets down to 6 billion on the altcoin side, that's when, you know, it's going to be you should look to pick up some coins <laughs> to, to see a, a few pumps. I, I don't, man, it's just, there's absolutely no adoption over there. There's absolutely no usage. And um, it's going to take a while, you know, like uh, people need to start waking up to this. How How can we, let me ask the audience here. How can we wake the people up? I mean, we have the Bitcoin futures. You know, traditional uh, legit futures on CME, CBOE is now closing down their futures. I mean, that's, I think that's a pretty big statement. That's kind of like a rage quit in a way. Uh, they were having very, very low volume. Most of the volume from the traditional traders and stuff was happening on CME. And uh, there were just, wasn't that enough market. You know, they have to have a certain revenue because it's costing them something to list this right and so they have to have a certain volume uh, for fees to replace that cost and apparently they just didn't uh they they sunk below that and so they have to close it down now they'll be back because you know cboe is involved with the uh, bitcoin etf so maybe they're concentrating more on that angle i'm not sure Um, i've heard a theory that there's some underground movement with the etf and maybe this kind of signifies that because CBOE is involved. I don't know how much weight I put in that theory, but I mean, I guess it could be possible. Um, overall, though, we, you know, Bitcoin is has the futures and they are going to get the first ETF. It's the most distributed supply out there. So more there's more holders of Bitcoin, um, more users. Uh, more value is sent with Bitcoin. I mean, just every single metric and, and even like the smart contract stuff, like Bitcoin has smart contracts. They're, you know, multi sig time lock, uh, other things. Lightning network is a, mul- is a smart contract layer to Bitcoin, but that kind of narrative isn't being pushed because it's decentralized. <laughs> there's, there's no like central marketing. Uh, department for Bitcoin like there is for Ethereum with with the Ethereum Foundation. Now, is that a negative? Well, it's could be seen as a negative short term, right? Like we don't have anybody there to pump Bitcoin for us, <laughs> but we don't have to put up with it later, right? Like there's nothing to attack. We don't have to worry about like bad actors like Mark Carpellis, who just is going to jail now for fraud. We don't have to worry about him Or other people getting into positions of quote-unquote power for Bitcoin. So, Bitcoin shrinks the attack vectors so low, so small and tiny. The surface area to attack of Bitcoin is so minute that it's going to be secure. And it will eventually just, it's going to chew away at the marginal people. The marginal investors in this world, as well as the marginal people in countries like Venezuela. Or Nigeria or Somalia or China or, uh, Japan, South Korea. Uh, where else has, um, I- freaking Italy, right? Like some uh, Spain, some of these marginal, uh, countries, marginal populations out there that might feel disenfranchised, right? From the ECB or from the Fed or their own government or their governments inflating their currency. Um, also, it's the hardest investment possible and it's not correlated to other things. And so, high like powered institutions will look at Bitcoin not being, you know, correlated with the traditional stock market or with bonds or cash. And so, they, it's totally uncorrelated and they need that in their algorithms, right? So, um, they, they will be. Slowly but surely, Bitcoin will be gobbling up little bits of the margin until it becomes 5% and then 10%. And then it's going to gobble up larger uh, chunks, right? And so Bitcoin doesn't have this central marketing arm and it takes a while to get that out there. But that's kind of what the role I fulfill in a minute fashion and other podcasters out there fill in a very minute fashion. And that's why it's so important for me personally to keep my reputation because I don't want to be shilling ICOs and then come out and tell you you need to buy bitcoin or you should buy bitcoin or you know something something else cuz you're you're not going to trust me if I sold you the <laughs> civic right <laughs> or some other shit shitcoin anyway oh my god that was a big long rant let's get back into this let's take a look so that was prices we could take a look at some sentiment stuff so uh, longs have been coming down. So this is Biff X numbers. Longs have been coming down. Shorts have been being added. The ratio is almost even right now at one to one. So we are at 1.01 on the ratio. 22,000 of both longs and shorts. We haven't seen that since the beginning of the year. And of course it was crossing even the other direction at the beginning of the year going positive, And now it's going negative. To- the total Longs plus shorts is at a multi-year low, almost as low as has been on these numbers. Um, but when it gets this low, uh, to me, it's signaling uncertainty. Traders don't really know. I mean, if it was very bearish or anything, there would be a lot more shorts. And it's just not that way. There, there is, we're just seeing a lack of really any interest because volatility is down and also uncertainty is up. All right, what is next? Let's talk about mining. Going a little out of order here today, but that's okay. Over the last 24 hours or so, we've seen an increase in the hash rate, uh, fairly significant, about 10% or so, uh, give or take. And right now, the estimated next adjustment in difficulty is it, over a week away and it's estimated at negative 2%. But if we do see some hash rate come on here, uh, again, this hash rate. Jump in hash rate preceded by a little while, a couple hours or so. This recent bump in price from thirty eight hundred up to thirty nine hundred. That's that's an interesting um, correlation. I've seen that multiple times now uh, recently. I expect it to be roughly another flat adjustment because I don't expect the price to do much. Like the price could go up to forty one hundred, but it could also go down to thirty seven hundred. And so um, this is. Uh, you know, that's the window we're looking at. And I don't think that is going to be make or break anybody on mining that's mining right now. So I expect mining to stay relatively flat until the, you know, we see a significant increase. Like if we see a 50% increase in Bitcoin's price, uh, we will see uh, a very big rise in the difficulty. Now, I wanted to take this time to talk about it's kind of a news item, kind of not just a story. But I got on, on Twitter, uh, there was this conversation about, because some people were talking at a conference recently, um, it was Nick Carter presented and um, Hasu and other people were kind of backing this idea that the security model is going to change when the subsidy runs out. I did a lot of thinking on this and I... I am in agreement with Eric Voskel that says uh, security doesn't come from subsidy. You know, if I have a choice in my attack, if I'm an attacker, I have a choice. I can do a um, an expensive attack and basically reorg everything all the time and not let any Uh, transactions through, et cetera, et cetera, but it's very expensive, especially at this difficulty, right? Like, um, it's going to cost them millions of dollars a day to do that. Um, or they can do it for free (laughs) and even make money and do it profitably if they simply whitelist people, right? And only let through, don't let through the, the sensor transactions just like PayPal won't, uh, right. But let through only certain transactions. They can, they can even make a profit while they're, keeping Bitcoin from being different and being better than the options available right now, like PayPal. So um, I, I I don't see a reason to go the expensive route. And if they do do the expensive route, eventually they had to stop, right? Eventually uh, if it's costing you $5 million a day to attack Bitcoin, eventually you have to stop doing that. Right. And so that doesn't kill Bitcoin. Bitcoin will just wait. Bitcoin will just wait or they're, you know, the devs that are doing stuff. They're not going to be sitting still and waiting There's still going to be some honest miners out there and they, they will find a way they'll find a way to stop that. Um, But at the same time, the attacker is wasted. Say they attacked the chain for two weeks or something or two months. I mean, they've gone through a hundred million dollars. And they've burned that money while we just waited. And then next year we're right back to where we were today. So it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense if you're a nation state to attack that way. It makes more sense to attack from a sustainable long-term, um, way to just corrupt Bitcoin in general. And that would be with mining while whitelisting. Um, and so if you're mining while whitelisting, you are dependent on the subsidy. So let's bring this back to the subsidy. So the the block reward will be equal. The block reward rewards both honest and dishonest miners. The censor gets the same reward as the miners aren't censoring. So it's a wash. The the best way to attack Bitcoin, it's a wash of the subsidy. So the only thing that's different here, the only way you can target honest miners and incentivize honest miners is through fees. So fees have, fees are where the censorship resistance and the security of the system come from. That's, that's what we're talking about here. The only way to incentivize honest mining is through fees. You do not incentivize honest mining through the subsidy. That's it period. (laughs) That's the end of the argument. I don't know what the, the only argument against that is yeah, but you're increasing the total cost of the attack. No, you're not. Not if they can sell the Bitcoin, right? So increasing the hash rate, increasing the difficulty does not affect the cost of an attack if they can sell the subsidy. So again, the only way to... (laughs) The only way to target honest miners, incentivize honest miners is through the fees. And that's why we have to transition to a fee market. And that's why Bitcoin will get more censorship resistant. It's actually a very, you know, positive outlook on this. Bitcoin is going to get more censorship resistant as it goes, as fees increase, which isn't good if you're wanting to buy coffee on on chain. But that's why we have smaller transactions are going to be on lightning network. And let me just roll into this thing. I mean, I'm not doing this show in order like I usually do. So forgive me, but this is how it's going to happen today. For new people out there, Peter McCormick is the host of what Bitcoin did. Very popular podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have listened to his podcast. Um, and I had a little bit of a beef last year with him when he was giving uh, Roger Vere the microphone because Roger Ver is a con man. (laughs) And what, what do you expect when you interview a con man? Not the truth. You expect him to use you to trick other people and hurt other people. And so that was my whole beef with McCormick last year. And since then, I mean, he's done some really good shows and I think he has added value. I don't think McCormick's a bad guy. I just... Don't like that he lets con men get on the microphone. So he's doing this lightning series and he was going to interview Peter Risen. He's a, I think he calls himself an economist. I'm not sure. I don't think he's a developer, but he was kind of the quote unquote chief economist for Bitcoin Unlimited. And when they were having their attack on Bitcoin, Um, all of his ideas have been pretty much debunked as crazy talk at this point. And he is, I think, squarely in the BSV camp right now. So he's his reputation has been tarnished in very many ways up until now. He should not be trusted in almost anything that he says. But he was going to be interviewed by What Bitcoin Did, and that I didn't like. And so I had to say something about it. McCormick from Bitcoin What Bitcoin Did had so much pushback that he eventually dropped that interview. But then he made a big stink about it of course like anybody would I mean it's good marketing so I don't uh, blame him for that but uh, anyway so <laughs> I uh, I started uh, seeing more of Peter Risen's tweets I think just because their t- the Twitter algorithm picked up this controversy and uh, so he said something about lightning Network that it doesn't really work right now you can't send large transactions etc cetera, etc cetera. and I just find it odd like People are willing to wait for Ethereum 2.0 for 10 years or however long this process is supposed to take. No one even knows. I mean, it could be 20 years. People are willing to wait for that. And it's the same argument like people multi-coin capital uh, with uh, Tushar Jain and Kyle Solani, I think his name is. They're talking about, oh, these, these uh, blockchain issues or problems uh, are just a matter of time that everything will be fixed the oracle problem will be fixed the um how to incentivize the governance uh, etc will be fixed all it's going to take is time but in the next breath they say lightning network doesn't work <laughs> i mean it just is so odd to me i mean it's not odd because they're anti bitcoin they are if bitcoin succeeding actually eats into their bottom line of their scams Because their narratives don't work anymore. So yes, they will say anything's possible with time for these blockchain things that aren't, that is not true. Like I can show you how that's not the case. That value will not accrue to that way of going about uh, developing. The value accrues to the base layer, which needs to stay steady. And things need to happen on layer two, which is what lightning is. But they say time Won't help lightning. I mean, it's just the weirdest thing. Anyway, oh my God, I got so off track on that. Where were we mining? Let's get back into the swing of things. Since we are talking about lightning, let's look up the lightning stats right now. I go to 1ml.com forward slash statistics, and we can see here, whoa, we just had a real big pickup this morning on network capacity. Roughly, it looks like 40 Bitcoins were added in the last few hours only. Uh, we just passed 900 Bitcoins in capacity. We're sitting at three and a half million dollars. So the rate of change is very important here. Okay. The rate of change in capacity is about 30% every month. 30% is extremely, extremely fast. The number of nodes we're sitting here, these are public nodes and this is public capacity. Like it, there could be 10%, 20% more capacity and more nodes on the private settings um, but these are just public numbers so the public lightning network has about 7,300 nodes <laughs> one thing I'm waiting for is when this number of nodes on the lightning network surpasses uh, the number of <laughs> daily active users of all apps on ethereum because it's just hilarious um, they they've been, pushing this as like a um, an app platform, a smart contract app platform for how many years? And they have eight to 10,000 daily active users that mostly are doing gaming where lightning is perfect for that. And, um, you know, we're going to have more nodes and more daily active users than all of Ethereum in very short, short uh, period of time here. Anyway, that should happen in no more than 90 days from now lightning will be bigger than ethereum so i I can't wait for that let's take a look at the the halvening so if you go over to bitcoinclock.com you can see that the halvening is roughly 32,000 blocks away that sounds like a lot for bitcoin considering we get 144 blocks a day um but it's not that far away it's only 430 days the ETA is May 21st. So just what would that be? 14 months away. Uh, and guys, this is the big one. This is the big happening. This is going to be unique in Bitcoin happening history. You know, um, the first one was, will it work? Will the happening process work? And some miners did not want to decrease from 50 to 25 bitcoins per block, obviously. And so they tried to continue. And what happened? Those blocks were, were not valid. Right. So, so that kind of stuff has happened. Uh, and that was the first one. The second one was, can we do it again? And is it that important? Um, Uh, It was, it was, we had another deflationary spiral after the second halvening down to 12 and a half bitcoins. And now we are on our third halvening and we are going down to like one and a half percent inflation rate, or, uh, it's not even inflation, but one and a half percent, uh, flow to stock uh, per year. And that is lower than gold. So this is a, this is the big one. We will become Bitcoin will become the hardest money out there in the world after this happening. And that's a huge, huge deal, huge deal. Not only for people that are watching this, which is, I granted very few people that really understand and care about the inflation rate, but more and more people will be impressed by this. Okay. And Hey, the next happening, we're going to go down to like, what would that be? Like a half a percent of issuance per year. And it's going to be, it's just going to get harder and harder and harder. More and more fees are going to come uh, our way for higher and higher censorship resistance. And that is how Bitcoin goes into this next stage of monetary recession around the world. Financial collapse 2.0, if you will, that's coming um, in the next few years, at least, to traditional markets. Bitcoin is going into that as the hardest money ever created. And also it's going to be more censorship resistance, resistant going into this. So um, it's just, it's an amazing uh, confluence of effects and forces that are going to come together at this happening time. Uh, And watch out, man, it's, it could be extremely explosive either way, of course, but I think, that the chances are very high that it's it's going to be just fine for the positive. So what other news items do I have? Let me check my news sheet. So there was some news about Tether. If you guys have been listening to the show for a while, I have been a, not a supporter of Tether, but a detractor to the FUD, like against Tether. I saw Tether as kind of like a free market solution. And... I see these other stable coins that have come in like JP Morgan coin or, yeah, JP Morgan coin, uh, USD coin, uh, Gemini coin or whatever it's called, and PAX is another one. So some of these are, you know, they're they're backed by the big banks. And so I, I, I supported Tether in that respect, right, this dichotomy. And I always thought that they were 100% reserve and it was shown multiple – times throughout the years that they were mul- they were full, full reserve and completely solvent. Now they've changed the wording on their website with a, I think it was a Forbes article. Let me look it up. So yeah, this was a Forbes article. I'll drop this in the show notes for you guys. It's not super important. Uh, I'll just cover the important parts here, but I mean, this is relatively big happening in our space. So uh, they've changed the wording on their website from every tether is always backed one-to-one by traditional currency held in our reserves. So one USDT is always equivalent to one USD. And now over several iterations, it's gone to this now. Every tether is always 100% backed by our reserves, which include traditional currency and cash equivalents. And from time to time may include other assets and receivables from loans made by tether, to third parties, which may include affiliated entities. Every tether is also one-to-one pegged to the dollar. So a USDT is always valued by tether at one USD. So it's a traditional fractional reserve going on here now, not that they are insolvent. Okay. Tether is still solvent as far as we know, and they could eventually meet all of their redemptions if they had to, uh, but they would have to call in loans. So they've, they've lent out their, their uh, dollar reserves, making loans to other parties, probably very sensible ones, uh, maybe buying some treasuries or something like that. I mean, they have $2 billion burning a hole in their pockets. So they're going to try to benefit a little bit off of that. And I mean, Tether has been a huge money maker for the, the Tether people for a long time. Um, one of the Kind of reverse conspiracy theories I heard was that they FUDded themselves so that they could buy back Tether at a lower price. You know, buying back Tether at 90 cents is a pretty big uh, windfall for them, right? So they uh, they could have just FUDded themselves. But whatever the case is, I don't think Tether is in any imminent danger. I don't think so. I could be wrong and I don't own any Tether. I've never owned any Tether. Uh, I, recommend people not own tether and <laughs> don't, don't trade something like these shit coins that you have to trade in tether, right? Trade, uh, against USD. If you're going to trade and trade on repu- reputable exchanges and trade only Bitcoin, don't even touch these shit coins. That's my recommendation, but it's not financial advice, obviously. So anyway, that's the whole tether saga. What else? Oh man, my kids are being loud. What else do I have here? So China offers help to Venezuela. This was a pretty cool story. Um, So, you know, recently the U S has been talking really strongly against Venezuela backing this uh, other Guido guy or whatever his name is. The, the other contender that is uh, trying to become president of Venezuela. Uh, And Maduro is cracking down a little bit. Obviously it's a shit situation and He's, there's people starving down there, um, but the the worst thing we can do for them is to have U.S. troops go in there. So that's what we want to avoid at all costs. And if the U.S. is backing this this pretender to the presidency, it's probably for a reason because this they're going to ask for help or something like that and give an excuse for the U.S. to come down there and occupy this oil rich nation. Anyway, the the big Revelation now is that China has offered help to Venezuela because um, Venezuela had a nationwide blackout, I believe, for multiple days. I don't think it's still going on, but it was a a week-long blackout down there in Venezuela. And so China has offered help to Maduro and the regime to get the power back on. And see, to me, this this is the difference in foreign policy. Like the United States, everything looks like a nail. And so we bring in our military and we have regime change. And we try to occupy this country very strictly. I mean, you can see this all around Afghanistan. You can see it in Iraq and you can see it in like Ukraine, um, multiple other places. Uh, but what China does is they come in here and say, hey, look, you're having trouble with your power. Let us come in and help you get the power, get the lights back on. And that is a much nicer thing. I mean, it's just a nice hum- human feel to this, the Chinese foreign policy. I'm not saying that China, the government of China is better than the US government. They're all governments that oppress people and have human rights abuses and all, all sorts of things. Everybody, every government does that. Uh, every government steals from their people. <laughs> so, uh, but at the same time, look at the mastery of diplomacy that China is displaying here. Russia displayed that in the Syria conflict. You know, um, it's just the US just does not have. The leadership to look viable, and this would never have happened twenty years ago, right? So uh, the decline of the U.S. geopolitical power is going to also decline the power of the petrodollar, um, and so I think it's it's actually a pretty interesting geopolitical situation. Like if I if I ha- was in charge of the petrodollar and I didn't care about hum- human lives, then. I would try to occupy all these and ally myself with all of these oil-rich nations, even though, like Saudi, is like the worst possible regime to be close allies with, and that's like our closest ally other than maybe Israel and the UK. And now the other countries like Iran and China and Russia they're going away from the the petrodollar, and so the petrodollar is under um, under attack. And Maduro has also he didn't like the United States, and and he's you know willing to sell his oil uh, for other things and, and open to maybe talking with China to sell their oil in Yuan or something. So to the US to protect their petrodollar, they got to go in and, and create this uh, Guido opposition and come in and back him and make sure that he won't sell his oil in uh, Yuan or, or rubles or whatever. Uh, it makes perfect sense. So when you look at this, the geopolitically we're losing influence or the US is losing influence, but... I mean, so you have the Chinese coming in to offer this uh, aid uh, and versus America that's coming in to offer, you know, bombs. So not only is our geopolitical influence waning, but I think the influence, majorly of the petrodollar uh, is waning and they're going so far as to try to uh, um, pretty much collapse Venezuela to come in there. Now, I think Venezuela... Did a lot of damage to itself by their, their socialist government, but you know, Hey, it can be both ways. Like a lot of people will say, you know, the reason why Venezuela is hurting is because the U S is doing secret operations. We're having sanctions and yada, 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 all that stuff. Well, that's true. And that hurts them. And that's evil. It's also evil and hurts the people having a socialist government. So it's not like one or the other. It's both at the same time. And when you look at the uh, emaciated people on the streets of Caracas and other places, I don't know how you could say that this is a result of one thing. Like this is a total collapse of this area. And it's not good. It's not good. And when you see China saying, hey, we will come in and help you with your power. I mean, that's humani- that looks humanitarian. Anyway, that's all I had to say about that. Okay. Is Ethereum a security? I'm almost done here, guys. I think this will be my last thing. Um, is Ethereum a security? Well, Marco Santori, he's kind of like the Bitcoin lawyer there in New York. Um, Marco Santori had a Twitter thread about that the recent comments from the SEC do not say that Ethereum is not a security. It just says that they will go off this certain criteria, okay, and they agree with the criteria. And other people have interpreted this criteria to say Ethereum is not a security, but he didn't say that. And Marco Santori, pretty important lawyer in this space, in the country, in the world, probably one of the most respected uh, Bitcoin lawyers in the world, has pretty much said that that's not what it says. They did not say anything that that Ethereum is not a security and the more, you know, just let Ethereum hang themselves because eventually they're going to be put out there and this Ethereum 2.0 stuff is going to expose the uh, centralization um, blatantly and that's, you know, then the SEC will probably come in and clamp down on the trail end. Remember, the SEC, the government does not protect consumers they come in to protect their, to protect face, to save face. And, uh, so when Ethereum is collapsing, that's when the SEC is going to come in. That's my opinion. So anyway, that's all I have for today, guys. Thank you for joining me. I hope this was educational. We didn't get to too many statistics, but sign up for the report. That's where I show all my charts and you get a good read on what's going on out there on the network and in the community at large. Anyway, Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time. Peace.